Welcome to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marian Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. I wonder how many of us dads have nothing more than idols at the very core of our being. We want to teach our kids how to throw a baseball, hit a golf ball, teach our girls how to dance or play volleyball or, or softball. And that in the ultimately has nothing of eternal value. We need some dads to have an altar of Jesus Christ at the very core of who we are. And we'll teach our children to love God with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind. I pray that if you only have idols, that you'll turn from your ways and look to Jesus and have an altar where your idols used to be. God bless you guys. Bye-bye. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, in a part of Scripture called the Shema, in talking about dads and how to raise their family, um, Moses gives the words of what God tells him. And he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, when he was being questioned by a lot of, of Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians, had a lawyer come and ask him, what's the greatest commandment? Trying to trick him and trying to get it where he would maybe falter. So no matter whatever answer they gave, they thought they could say, ah, well, why don't you choose this one? So it's okay to take the name of the Lord in vain. It's okay to worship on a day other than the Sabbath for them. It's, a, it's a whatever. And Jesus goes all the way back to Deuteronomy and says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Can I make this statement to you today that as a daddy, your greatest job, your most important job, it's not how many gifts you can give your kids. It's not how great you could teach them to throw a baseball or football or shoot a basketball or shoot a rifle or catch a fish. It's not every opportunity that you can give them to be all they can be. All that stuff's great and fine and good. That's not your most important job. Your absolute most important job as a daddy is to teach your child to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all their soul and all their strength. That is your most important job. If you teach them how to throw a baseball or a football or a basketball or shoot a gun or cast a fishing rod and catch a fish and, or do anything else, and yet you don't teach them that Jesus loved them and died for them, I'm going to make a statement. You failed in your job as a father. Because all those other things are good and nice and fine. But they don't take you to heaven. Hello. They don't take you to heaven. There's only one thing that will take you to heaven. Accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Now the question, so the question is, Pastor, if you're going to make that statement, if you're going to be in our face today about that, if you're going to tell me that it's of no use. Now, by the way, I didn't say it's of no use. I just said that's not your most important job. 
You ought to teach them to hunt and fish. You ought to teach them to play baseball and basketball. You ought to teach them to do whatever. Teach a boy to be a man. Teach your girls to be girls. Hello. But we've got to teach them. How do we do that? Turn in your Bible to Leviticus chapter 1. We're going to be, I'm going to, this is more of a topical sermon today. Um, not, not going to just be in Leviticus the entire time, but it's a jumping off point for where I want to do. And I've, taught, I've entitled this this, The Altar of a Dad's Life. Dad, what does your altar look like? Dad, do you even have an altar in your life? Not in your house where you go and bow. In your life, in your heart, in your soul, in your inner being. Reading a book right now, and me and Daniel and, and Drew are reading this book, and it talks about the, the, the sacred space. In the sacred space of your heart and your soul, do you have an altar to the Lord? Stand the reading of God's Word. Leviticus chapter 1, I'm only going to read that, although you could go through chapters 1, 2, and 3. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When, you, when any of one of you brings an offering up to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock, and its offering is a burnt offering from the herd, a male without blemish. You shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may accept it. It may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw it, throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the altar. And Aaron's sons, shall, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head, the fat, the wood, that is on the fire of the altar. Its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. The priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with. And here's the key phrase that's going to jump us. A pleasing aroma to the Lord. If you were to skip down a little bit, it talks about, again in there in verse 13, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If you skip on down to the very end of the chapter, verse 17, it's called a, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And we go to chapter 2 in grain offerings. It talks about in there in, in verse 2, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And down there in verse 9, it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Go to chapter 3, the peace offering. Then you go down to, uh, to verse 5, it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Verse 16 of that same chapter, it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. There is something about this death to yourself, the death of something that is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. We're going to talk about that. Father, help us to understand the preeminence needed in our life to be a godly daddy. Lord, we bow in your presence and ask you to move in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Can I ask you this question as we begin, dads? Is your life a pleasing aroma to the Lord? You ought to ask yourself that every day, Daddy. Is my life a pleasing aroma to the Lord? 
When my children look at me and when they look at my life, what did they see? Did they see a, a separated life? Now, don't listen, don't take out of context what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you don't play baseball with your children and you don't do all these other things, but I'm asking, what is preeminent in your life? What are you showing your children? What are you living out in front of your children? As we look at this altar, I want to give you the definition of, a, of an altar here. The definition is this. It's where sacrifices were made. That's a simple definition. Where sacrifices were made. There are two altars that were talked about here. There's the, the bronze altar where the whole offerings were offered up. And then they had this sacred horn, the small horned altar that where incense was burned at. But it was all dealing with the death of something that was burned. And it was giving its life for someone else so that someone's sins could be at least covered for a time being. It was this place where the atonement was made. Something had to die for a sacrifice to be offered. And we hear all the time, dads will say things like this to make, I would die for my family. Really? Paul said he died daily. How many of us dads die daily for our family in showing them a godly way? How many of us die daily at the altar of the Lord to give everything we got so our children will grow up to know Him as Lord and Savior? Not listening to the world, but listening for the small, still voice of a Savior. There's an action here. We, we don't just see a definition. We also see an action. It was to burn it all the time. It says you bring this burnt offering there. You bring your bull. You bring the oil and the frankincense there in chapter 2. and You bring fine flour. You bring all of this to be burned on this altar. The action was for sacrifice to be burned. Flip over in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Go to the Gospel of Mark and look at chapter 8. Jesus is telling them about His impending death. And Peter once again puts his foot in his mouth. And then Jesus makes this statement in verse 34 of Mark chapter 8. If anyone would, uh, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, If anyone would come after me, all right, dads, he's going to give you the game plan. He's going to lay out exactly what you need to do to come after him, to show your kids the way to come after him. Let him, notice the first thing he says, deny himself. He didn't say let him spend all the money he could to, to give him this or give him that. He didn't say do this or do that. He didn't say any of those things. He said the very first thing you got to do if you're going to come after me, and I believe the context is, is, if you use it in the context of a parent, is to do this one thing, is to deny yourself. 
Let your children see you live godly. Let your children see that church is important. There's this thing around the day that, well, I don't need church. Yes, you do. Hebrews chapter uh, 10, uh, verse 25 says, Let us not forsake the gathering together. You know what that means? You ought to go to church. We're to be a body of believers, a, a family. Man, it blessed my heart this week as I was with the young people and in past years, our, our, our youth group, just being honest, hadn't been real tight. Just sort of been... But this year, man, they were tight. It was okay to hang out with each other. I mean, they spent during from Thursday night when God sort of settled down on our youth group, and I mean God moved Thursday night. They were together from 8.30 to right at 11. And they stayed together, and here was a part of family that I loved, that I saw. At one point, somewhere around about 10, 15, we we're like, hey man, we're sort of done now. Uh, you know, we've had this moment, and God has moved, and now we're sort of, you know how it is. I mean, you just don't stay in that presence forever. And so you're like, guys, you can go do what you want to do. And nobody left. They just sort of stayed and loved on each other. And so as I'm walking around talking to different, I'm praying in my heart, and I said, oh God, that our church would love each other like these young people love each other right now. Let him deny himself. Dad, there's something about just saying, listen, it's not about me. I'm, I'm giving only have you really for 18 years, and then I know you keep on being daddy, but I have you this time, and in that time, what I want you to see is not a man who will do anything to get you a scholarship for Division One. That's secondary. Or a man will do this to get you that. That's secondary. I want my child to see a daddy that has given it all to make sure his child's name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I can't do it for you, but I surely can live it out in front of you. We make statements about church and things like that that we don't make about nothing else. I had someone tell me one time, well, you know, I, I'm not going to push my faith on my child. By golly, I will. I'm going to push my faith, and I'm going to push my belief, and I'm going to push my Lord, and I'm going to push my Bible down their throats. You're probably like, well, listen, if you do that, they're going to run from church. There sits one right there. There sits another one right there. And my other son is out there. Come tell me again. To admit to all, here's what we say. Here's what we say. And I had somebody say this. I think I'm just going to let my child figure it out on their own. Here's what I said. Well, hope your child enjoys hell. What do you mean? I said, you let your child figure out their own education? Well, that's just ridiculous, Hank. Somebody's got to teach them. So you're willing to teach them to get an education, but you're not going to teach them about Jesus? That world will teach them if you don't. That world, and by the way, that world is never going to teach them to love Jesus. John said, do not love the things of the world. And you just let them go and that's what they're going to start loving. 
Because this world is going to paint a pretty picture. But it's empty. Jesus said, deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Daddy, when's the last time you had a Bible study with your children? When's the last time your children saw their daddy sit down at the kitchen table with his Bible open, reading God's Word and praying? When was the last time they saw their daddy get down on their knees in a sign of humility and submission crying out to God the Father to move in the life of His child. When was the last time? What do they hear on your radios? What do they hear when nobody else is looking? But let me say, that, why do you do that? Why am I, why am I so big about this denying yourself? And, and Paul says, I die daily. What's the big deal? We'll go back to Leviticus chapter 1. Here's the big deal about it. In Leviticus chapter 1, I read it several times. It says it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The word pleasing there means something soothing. There's something about death that's a pleasing aroma. One of the definitions for pleasing, it means abstract delight. You would not put it together, but there's something about dying to self. By the way, it's what Adam and Eve didn't do in the garden. They didn't die to self. They wanted to fulfill their own desires. God says, I'm calling you to die to self. And when you die to self, something about that, and you sacrifice it to me, I'm telling you, that's a pleasing, second word, aroma. Word means it means a fragrance. Paul wrote to the church of church of Corinth. He says, "Are you a, a aroma of life or the aroma of death?" Let me tell you this: you can put all the all the perfume or cologne on a pig, and it's still gonna smell like a pig. There's something from the heart that just don't. You ever been around that person that just emanates Jesus? That just emanates the love of God? Dads, that should be you. What aroma do you give off? By the way, not at church either. Not here. Everybody acts good at church for the most part. I'm talking about the house, at your job. That's the altar. So how do you get there, though? What do, what, how do I, how do I if, if I'm to deny myself, I hope this is your next question. Well, preacher Hank, you said I should have an altar that in my sacred space, in my heart and in my soul, I should have this altar. How in the world do I get that altar uh, to be seen? I'm glad you asked. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Go to Philippians chapter 1.
Paul, now everybody knows, this is some of the problems when you have these great verses of the Bible. Everybody knows John 3.16, but does anybody know John 3.17? Or John 3.15? Those are powerful too. We all know Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But do you know verse 20? Look, listen to what verse 20 says. Philippians 1, verse 20. Paul's writing. I'm going to start at verse, verse 19. Uh, yes, I, I will. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored. Now your translation, I, I would prefer to have the New King James translation here, will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. That Christ will be magnified. And so I began to think there, as I was sitting in the, in the coffee shop this week and, and drinking coffee, I began to just think and let my mind wander about what does a, a magnifying lens do? Uh, my daddy kept one by his, uh, by his chair at the house. I mean, he had this big old magnifying If he, My daddy had great eyesight, except for up close in his, in his later years. He, he didn't put on these these glasses that were reading glasses, but they looked like you could see Mars. And then if something was really small, he would break out. Every once in a while, he'd look over there, he'd have these big old glasses, and then he'd have this big old magnifying lens. I'm like, bro, what are you looking at, Pluto? I just got black eyes see. <laughs> gotcha. And so then I began to think about that magnifying lens. Three things it does. Number one, it enlarges. I mean, if you're reading something, that's just what reading glasses, nothing these things are, just magnifiers, right? They just sort of enlarge the text because right here I can't see the text, but when I sit, it makes it larger. So it enlarges, so they're able to see better. It's how you're acting. Can I ask you this question? How do you act in front of your kids at home? If your kids were to look at you, could they look at your life? Oh, that's a good question. And without you ever saying a word, could they look at your life and say, my daddy, my mama loves Jesus? Because you've enlarged it. You've let everybody see this is how I'm living and I'm not ashamed. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I love this. We, uh, we talked about it here a few weeks ago and on a Sunday night or Wednesday and I forget. And then this week, this was our key verse for all of this week. <clears throat> and we all, this is verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. New King James says, from glory to glory. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Can I ask you this question? When you're living out your life, do your children and does your family, does your church family, does anybody, if they looked at your life, can they say this, man, that brother is walking closer to the Lord today than he was just a year ago. A year ago, he would use language that he shouldn't use. And now you never hear those words come out of his mouth. A year ago, he might would drink some alcohol and now I don't ever see him do that. A year ago, he told the dirtiest jokes at the water cooler. Now you don't ever hear that. Is, it, is there any 
any way, shape, form, or fashion that in your life you've begun to grow from glory to glory. You keep on getting closer to Jesus because with unveiled face, you keep seeing Jesus more clearly through the written Word and through your prayer time. Have you grown any in your walk? Hello? Has there been any movement? And by the way, bless your heart, I'm so thankful, I just said a minute ago, that church needs to be a part, but this cannot be the only time you get Jesus. It cannot be. Well, preacher, I just don't understand what I'm reading. All right, let me give you this. Number one, if you're reading out of King James 16, 11, don't nobody understand that. They don't even use the same words, spell the words like we do. I know, I just offended somebody in here because somebody in here got their King James. Jason? <laughs> I told y'all, I knew the car was, I bet it's not 1611. Secondly, and firstly, they, Jason, tell me, no, I'm kidding with them. Don't let the, the enemy lie to you like that. See, what the enemy's going to do is he's going to get up on your shoulder. He's going to whisper, why are you reading that? You know you can't understand it. You know that's above your head. You're not, here's what say, you're not smart enough to understand that. Lie, lie, lie. If I know the author of this book... Can the author of this book not whisper to my soul exactly what he means? And by the way, that author will tell you some things you don't even need to read. I'm telling you, I used to have a filthy mouth. Man, when I really got real about Jesus and, and I, I came to accept Jesus, guess what? No, I didn't need a preacher to tell me, clean your mouth up, boy. The Holy Spirit inside of me told me to clean my mouth up. Not only does it enlarge, but it exposes. This is the one we don't like. You know, we, we, we try to cover up everything, don't we? we ladies, y'all use makeup to do what? Cover up your flaws. Hello? That's why you wear makeup, let's be honest. You wear it to cover up your flaws. That's why most men... Sorry, Nat, that are bald wear hats, man, so they cover up their head, their flaw that they see. Sorry, bro. I'm just getting everybody today. But no, we, we do things to cover up our flaws, do we not? We, and listen, but the flaws that you cannot cover are the ones on the inside. So you get that magnifying glass and it enlarges stuff, and then you can see the faults and the flaws on the inside. You get that old believer that's got the light of Jesus shining in their soul, they're going to be thinking, I am the worst person walking the faces of earth. I'm going to use Miss Hubbard, man. Man, Miss, Miss Louise Hubbard, man. If y'all never had a chance to meet her, y'all just lost out. She would come down so, sometimes, man, and I swear you had God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and Miss Hubbard right below that. She would come down and she would be broken and just weeping and she would take me by the hand at the invitation time and here she would say things like this and I don't think she would mind. She would say, Preacher Hank, 
I'm just a sorry, sorry sinner, man. I don't do anything for the kingdom. And I don't know how God could love me. And I'm going, honey, if you're that bad, I'm going to hell. You see, the closer you get to the cross, the more your flaws are magnified. Listen, I'm going to take you to... Listen, we all know Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned. That means you too, honey. You too, Dad. You're not perfect. But now, if, if you were to say, <clears throat> if there was a Christian that lived that would probably be the, the, the closest thing to Jesus that we could get, wouldn't it be Paul? That's what Paul said. Go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is not false humility either. First Timothy chapter one, verse 15. This, this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Yours may say, of whom I'm the chiefest. Wait, what? Wait a minute. You, this, the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament says that he's the foremost, the chiefest of all sinners? Come on, I know you had this past life, Paul. I know you had this past life, Paul, that where you murdered Christians and you, you put them in jail when you were mean and you, you, did, you talked against Jesus and you were holding the, the coats of the one who, who, when they stoned Stephen, I know you did all that, but Paul, since the day you got saved and you were transformed on that road to Damascus, Paul, come on, brother, you now have lived perfectly. No, Paul says, and we talked about it in, in Wednesday night, he said, I need grace every day. See, some of our problems, dads, is we think we got it all figured out. You haven't figured out nothing. Until you understand just how sorry and rotten you are at your soul. When you let Jesus get that spiritual microscope on you, dad, and the best thing you can do is let Him show you your flaws so that you can get grace. And mercy. Let Him move in your heart in that very place. But then here's the great thing. Not only to do those things, you guys know the story. It inflames also. I was with my cousin one day. He had a, I don't know where he got this, this magnifying lens from, but we went out there and we had a bunch of old grass and, and a tire. I mean, it was, it, was, it was one of them drought summers, you know. I mean, stuff was nothing. And so we're messing around out there, man. And, and we're just standing there. And we just stay there. And we stay there. And we stay there. It takes a while. But I mean, when you're, when you're 10, what else are you going to do? Baseball games hadn't started for that night. So this is like 1 in the afternoon. I mean, what are we going to do? By the way, see, we couldn't stay. Y'all... Best chance for some of y'all older folk to amen right here, okay? We couldn't stay in the house and play video games. 
I love these things, man. And some of these reels on Instagram, they talk about 80s kids. They write, man, you would roll out the house at like 9 a.m. or 8 a.m. and you couldn't come back until the street light came on. And where I lived, there won't no street light. When mama flicked that switch on the carport, your butt better be rolling home. So we outside because we couldn't stay inside. We out there and we're in trouble. Well, the next thing you know, man, it starts smoking. I'm like, check this out. When you're young, you dumb. How was I to know a tire would burn like that? That grass in there got to burning, and that stuff got hot, and the next thing you know, that tire caught on fire, and I'm looking at my cousin going, we just don't have enough breath to get on it. Let's roll it down the hill. Did I say it was a drought? There was just fire flying out of it. It looked like a tire from the Daytona 500, man. It came off a car. It is, and, it's just, and the next thing you know, this whole field goes, woof. You know what I wanted to do at that time? I was looking for a Greyhound ticket. And then my next thought was, I wonder if I could make a steel pad for my tail. Because this spanking, y'all, there was somewhere five or six fire engines called. We've stopped 29. <laughs> y'all laugh. It all came from one little spark. That, that, that magnifying glass took the light and brought it down to one little place and after a while and when it caught fire son let me tell you now I hope you get what I'm saying dads if you keep living it out in front of your kids may not get it for a while but your prayer should be God take whatever spark they can get from me and let it light a fire in their soul. And let it let a fire in their heart for you. And may that fire burn brighter than my fire. Let them get it going, man. Flip over. Here's what you got to do. Oh, just right here in Philippians. Go back to Philippians. Listen to what happened here. So Paul's in jail, right? And these people are mocking him. Here's what he says in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. I want you to know that what has happened has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment for Christ. And most of the brothers have become, listen, confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You'll affect, yes, your family, but you'll begin to affect other people. The, that spark will catch hold to you, man, and it'll begin to give other people, man, the, the, the courage and the boldness to speak. Man, we had this girl, Ella, she's sharing the gospel this week. This young girl right here, she came to me the first day. She's getting ready to go out the very first day. She, she goes, hey, I need some gospel of John tracks. 
And then the next thing I know, I'm getting pictures of where you at. There's Braylon who's over there. How old are you, Braylon? 16? A 16-year-old sharing the gospel. And then the next thing I know, and here's what happens. So they knew that Ella came. They saw that Braylon was there. And then the next thing you know, I've got other teenagers going, hey, you got any more gospel of John's? Hello, do you see how it works? I had more. They were all in Portuguese. They didn't want those. I don't know why. I mean, just speak. I mean, just, come on, man. Speak in tongues one time. But you see how it works? Just from one spark. Then the next spark that was with them, and then you got others there going, I just need a gospel of John in case I have the chance. Dad, you can do that in your family. That spark may take years, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's why you live it out. And listen, by the way, if you don't see the fruit right now, you just keep on at the feet of Jesus. Let me give you the last thing, the action. I'm going to finish almost on time. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I'm going to give you these sort of quickly. So how do I even do that? Hey, pastor, how do I get to where I can be, I can, they can look at my life like a magnifying lens? What, I want to make sure my life is right so that if it's seen that way, how can I make sure that I'm, I'm where I need to be? Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's the action. Let me give you three things. I'm going to give them to you quickly. Have a closing thought. And then we're going to go home. We see a death in this verse. It's your death. Remember, remember what I said in the very beginning? Deny yourself. Paul says here, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, you should live a crucified life. C.J. Mahaney's got a really good book. If you want it, you ought to go get it. C.J. Mahaney's got a book called The Crucified Life. You ought to read it. It's really small. It's only about 80 pages. You can read it basically in one setting. You ought to write down that title. If you want to know how to live that crucified life, I would encourage you to read that book. Or just give me a few weeks and I'll have some more out there for you. But it speaks of a Savior. See, that your life's crucified, okay? It is no longer I who live that tells me that I'm dead to myself, but it is Christ who lives in me. Hello? He lives inside of us. You cannot do the Christian life. You cannot live the Christian life on your own, flat out, period. There's only been one man to do it, and that was Jesus Christ Himself. But here's what Jesus says, If you'll but accept Me, I'll set up residence in your heart, the very throne of the enemy. I'm going to knock him off the throne, and I'm going to set up My throne in your heart, and I'm going to live out your life as you should. problem is most of us don't want to do that. And then our life as for what happens? The life I now live in the flesh, I live by, here it is, by faith. I live by faith. Some people say all the time, you Christians, y'all have blind faith. 
No, I don't. I've got a whole Bible full of truth. I don't have blind faith. There is not one thing in this Bible that has been proven false. Not one thing. So you're going to tell me? And listen, by the way, I'm going to go. Listen, I, I'm a good student, man. I listen on Wednesday nights, man, when Bruce is teaching. I'm telling you this. If you say that Jesus really didn't rise from the dead, can how do you explain the change in the life of Paul? And how do you explain the change in the life of James, a half-brother of Jesus? How do you explain all that? And then thirdly, or secondly, whatever, where's the body? Because you know good and well them old boys would have said, listen, those other guys, they're saying he hadn't been resurrected, but he's been resurrected, but here's his body. Where's the body? Because you can go to the tomb of Muhammad. There are bones there. You can go to the tomb of Confucius. There's bones there. But you go to that borrowed tomb. You walk inside. You won't see no bones. But you'll hear the echo of the angels down through the century. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. How many of us live that crucified life for our family? I don't have many original thoughts. This may be my sixth one in 22 years of preaching. Y'all realize July 1st will be my 22nd year? My anniversary is coming up, y'all. It's coming quick. Y'all got me as a baby, and now I'm still a big baby. Boy, I didn't expect an amen there. Really thought I'd get something outside of that, man. Here's what I said, and this is an original thought. Uh, You may like it, you may not, but it's going to make you think. Too many of us don't have altars but idols that our children see. Then we wonder why our children aren't believers. We've never shown them an altar. We've only shown them idols. Dad, be self-aware today. Do you have an altar for God in your life? Or do you have idols of the world filling it up? Thanks for listening to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcva.com.